0: You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. To John chapter 8 verse 12. John 8, 12, as we continue our look at God's Word and John's Gospel. As you're turning there, I want to share our, our Reformation moment we have been uh, calling it. This month marks the 500th year since the beginning of what we call the, the Protestant Reformation. Uh, there's vast material that you can read upon that, and I won't uh, take the time uh, of going through all of that in a five-minute period, but just for those that have access to internet, they're just Wikipedia. Um, just for you'll know, uh, I am uh, one of the things I enjoy doing is passing along information. Uh, there's a very simple uh, Christian website, uh, evangelical uh, conservative website, GotQuestions.org. Now it, it is. It is just basic. It is not trying to really dig deep into the uh, the deep things. It definitely would not be something you'd use as a reference on a seminary paper, gotquestions.org. But you could just go to gotquestions.org and read on the Protestant Reformation and things of that nature. And it gives you just a, a big picture of the things that we are Uh, talking about as we look at this from a historical uh, standpoint. Over the next several weeks and months, especially the last week in October, you're going to be hearing a lot about the Protestant Reformation uh, globally because of the impact that it has had on our Christian world. Uh, We are here today worshiping because of what took place 500 years ago. And so we've been sharing some historical figures that relate uh, to that. This morning, I want to read real quickly before I go into uh, the preaching of the Word. I want to share one of those that came before uh, the Reformation as we know it. The gentleman's name was John Huss. John Huss was born in 1369 in the kingdom of Bohemia, uh, which is now in the southern part of the Czech uh, Republic. And As he grew into an adult... Uh, he uh, began to serve within the ministries of the church, and he began to have a, a, a real burden over God's word, but what he saw the church doing. And way back, yon, I mean, that's a long time ago, 1300s. We had a, we had God's word, but yet he did not see that lived out in the church of the day. In the church of the day, the, uh, the Catholic church was very immoral and, and was very... Uh, off the basis of what scripture was teaching and he came across the, the writings and the teaching of John Wycliffe which we looked at last week and John Wycliffe was a gentleman that began to write the bible in everyday language and when he died the, the church declared him a heretic because how dare him put the bible in everyday language and so after his death they exhumed his body declared him a heretic burned his dead body and then cast the ashes into the river well, John Huss came across these writings that the church had condemned and he was just burdened by Wycliffe's desire to be bold in the truth. And John Huss began to preach sermons in the common language. The language of the church was Latin and the priests and the leaders of the church spoke in Latin, but the common people did not have the word of God in their language. So he began to preach boldly the word of God and what scripture taught about what the church was, and authority, and indulgences, and and all the things that were going off on the wrong direction of the day in the 1300s. There began to be division and questions, and they invited John Huss to a meeting that he thought that he would defend what he was teaching. And so under the promise, I'm going to begin reading this, so under the promise of safety, John Huss was immediately thrown into prison and after six months was given a mock trial in order to recant, which he refused. In July of 1415, he was stripped naked and he was adorned with a dunce hat painted with devils. So he had a, he's, a, he's naked, he's got a, a dunce hat on him and he's got these devils painted on this dunce hat and it was labeled Ark Heretic. Then they led him past a burning pile of his books and they chained him to a stake. In response to being chained up like a dog, it was been noted that he said, My Lord Jesus Christ was bound with a harder chain than this one for my sake, so why should I be ashamed of these rusty chains? They told him once more to recant, but he refused, proclaiming, What I taught with my lips, I will now seal with my blood. And that he did. As the flames climbed higher, he began to sing. And as he sang, the secretary of the council pronounced, O cursed Judas! because thou hast abandoned the pathways of peace and have counseled with the Jews who take away from the cup of it. He said, because you have counseled with the Jews, we take away. Notice what they said. We take away the cup of redemption. And thankfully, the corrupt Catholic church did not have the authority to take away the cup of redemption that day. After his death, outrage filled Bohemia, and in his name, followers revolted against the corrupt church in violent protests that lasted over a decade. John Huss was a preacher, a political figure, a prophet, a proto reformer, and a martyr of the first class. Let's pray. Lord, let us never forget those that have laid the foundation for what we can do here today. Naturally, Lord God, that starts with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But Lord, through the history of the church, there have been men and women and literally boys and girls that have stood on the promise and the hope of the gospel and scripture and stood boldly to proclaim nothing but the wonderful word of God to a world that desperately needs to hear it. And so, Lord, we thank you that in the midst of the world that we live in, that we have the same hope that John Huss had many years ago and the hope of the gospel. And so, Lord, as we remember back to those that gave so much that we can even gather in our great country today and to worship you in spirit and truth, we say thank you for their faith. And Lord, I pray that one day that we too may be counted as faithful men and women of the gospel as so many that have come before us have been. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 8 verse 12. Jesus is still at the feast. And he's proclaiming to the Jews again who he was. In the same manner that those that have gone before us, the message has never changed. Who Christ is, where he is from, what he has come to do, how does that relate to us? That's a great way to understand what do we do with Jesus Christ. Who is he? Where did he come from? What did he come to do? What does that mean to me? We read about historical figures. We can gain great encouragement, and great hope as we see what others have endured for the faith. But Jesus is so much more than just a historical figure. He is God. And he is the author and the provider and perfecter of our faith. And we see Christ here yet again standing before dead religion and the religious things of the world. And they're questioning who he is and questioning the hope of the gospel. And here again in one verse we get a great truth. John chapter 8, verse 12, we're going to look at one verse this morning. John 8, 12, again, you could almost say again and again and again and again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray again. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. and Just as real as the day you stood in that temple area with the booth feast of booths in the background, as the multitude gathered around you and you shared these words, these words are just as real for us here this morning. You are who you say that you are. And I pray, Lord God, as we leave here today individually, we know that. We understand it. We trust in it. And we live that out. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Three things I want us to look at. We're just going to take this verse and divide it up into thirds. One, notice what he says there. I am the light of the world. This is the first of seven what we call I am statements found in John's gospel. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Now, when you think about that, I am, what comes to mind? Find Exodus in your Old Testament and I'll point you to what you're thinking about you're going well I think I've heard that before yes you have look at Exodus chapter 13 Exodus I'm sorry Exodus 3 14 Jesus said nothing without a purpose and a meaning behind it sometimes as we read scripture we don't pick up on it but Jesus didn't say anything you know a lot of times we as preachers we waste a lot of words so to speak Jesus is not a one that wasted words. Everything he said had a purpose and a meaning behind it. When he stood up again and he was was speaking to the crowd and he said, I am, it resonated deeply in the hearts of those Jewish people. And here's why. Exodus chapter 3 is where we learn that Moses got a call to go to his people and to set them free. The the burning bush experience, we would say. Moses wanders upon the the bush that is burning and he hears the the voice of God from it. And the voice says that you are are standing on holy ground. Moses, take your shoes off. This is is holy ground. This is a, a burning bush, but this is the voice of God. God began to share with Moses what it is that he needed to do and that he was sending Moses to do something for his people. He was telling Moses, Moses, I am the God of redemptive history. I am the God of of all creation. I am a God that sent my people into Egypt and my people are into bondage at this point. And I am sending you to deliver my people into bondage and I am sending you out of bondage. And then I'm going to send you to take my people into the promised land. Notice verse 14. Then God said to Moses I am who I am. And he said say this to the people of Israel I am has sent me to you. That phrase simply means this, I am God. Always have been, always will be. Moses, I am who I am. You can trust me. You can know me. You can know that I am sending you to do something that you can only do because the great I am is sending you to do it. Now, can you imagine Moses as he left that experience and he left and he went back to Pharaoh. You know the story, he had left and now he's going back and throughout the rest of the life of Moses he continued to have obstacles and circumstances and trials and he continued to have the world fighting against him. But in the back of Moses' mind, what do you think he had ringing in his mind? I think he had that day in his mind when God says, I am who I am. Never forget that, Moses. The old covenant Jews worshipped Moses and Abraham. They were the the fathers of their faith. And Jesus is saying, I am greater than Moses. I am the the whole discourse. I am greater than Moses. I am greater than Abraham. I am greater than the Old Testament law. I am greater than the Old Covenant. And, I, and in essence, you think about Moses del- being able to deliver the nation of Israel to the Promised Land. Jesus is saying, "I am the Promised Land. I am the rest that Hebrews talks about entering to the Promised Land of rest." Jesus Christ says, "I am that rest." When he stood before the Jews that day and he looked at that multitude, he knew exactly what he was saying and they knew exactly what he was saying. I am the great I am. I am God. That was the problem that the Jewish people had. They were waiting on a Messiah and they believed the Messiah was coming. They just didn't believe Jesus was it. That's no different than the world we live in today. 500 years ago, more than 500 years ago, 600 and something years ago, John Huss was saying, there's only one way. It's faith alone, grace alone, for the glory of God alone, Scripture alone. There's only only one way. There's not many ways. There's not many things. It's just one. It's God and what he's given us through Jesus Christ and the hope of the gospel. I am. The great I am, Jesus is saying. We look at our world today, and everybody says, you've got your way, and I've got my way. You know, we're in college football season. Everybody, you know, now we're talking about the, who, the playoff, and, I, you know, the, the um, gosh, I can't believe I can't remember this much. I love college football, you know, where, where the, the meeting that they're going to meet and put together the playoff poll, and, oh, everything's so subjective, and, oh, who who the top four teams, oh. And we've taken the gospel and we've done that. Uh, What's the right way? What's what's absolute truth? What do we believe this day? Well, these people say this and these people say that and and these people say this. And you've got your way and you've got this way. That's the same thing that has been going on in the history of Christianity. And Jesus Christ emphatically says there is no other way. He was standing in the center of Jewish religion. The Old Testament. He's not saying that all of this was bad. He didn't say to the Jews, everything you believe was bad. What was wrong with what you believe And You've added to what God has said. God has said that I am coming. And if you were wanting to know what God was doing in the midst of what he was doing, you would recognize me. I am God. I ask you this. We say this. Last week I didn't have my watch. I do have my watch this week. We say this in the world. It is not, I can count on one hand the number of people that I have encountered that tell me they are lost and they know they're busting hell wide open. I can count on one finger the number of people that really tell me they don't believe in God. So especially when everybody realizes I'm a pastor. Oh, I'm a oh, no, no, I'm a believer. So now I've gotten to do this. I try to be sweet about it. Well, I'm a Christian. Oh, really? That's great to hear. What exactly do you believe about Christianity? Well, I believe in Jesus. Oh, exactly. That's that's, that's great news. Preachers love to hear that. I believe in Jesus. Great. What exactly do we believe about Jesus? Because Jesus is God. Amen? He's not just some historical figure that we believe in and he, we, just, we don't really have a you know, relationship with. He's just a historical figure that we have out there that really doesn't mean anything. No, he is God. And when we have a relationship with God, that's a game changer. And even as a Christian, I think it's some time to remind ourselves, tonight we're going to be looking at assurance. So if you notice on the right-hand side of the order of service, that's kind of a part of the message for tonight is kind of a teaser. Come back tonight. We're going to look at assurance. Let me tell you some great assurance if you're a Christian today. Let me tell you this. You will go through difficult times. You're going to be uh, attacked by the world, oppressed by the world. Some of us may even be chained to a stake naked with a dunce hat, burned alive. That could very well happen to one of us. Let me tell you something. You've got a personal relationship with God and Jesus Christ. He's not a religious figure. He is literally God. And just as he sent Moses and just as he had a plan and Moses was part of that, when Jesus Christ stands before your heart and he says, I am the light of the world. He is saying I am God. You can trust me. You can know me. You can be sent of me. You can know that I am a God in charge of all redemptive history. I am. Here's the thing about what Christ, you have know, noticed God, he is God but he's man. There's a lot that we can learn from Christ. He never backs down from the message. We're going to kill them, John 5, 18. Let's kill them. I don't know how I'd respond. If somebody were to tell me that they and I knew that I was literally going to be killed for saying something, if I said it again and I knew I was right, I would hope to say I'd never back down. Burn me to a stake. Whenever I watch a a movie and somebody's getting tortured, I always think, I bet I can endure the same thing. Probably not. He kept saying the same thing. You can kill me, but only when my Father allows me. Why? Because I am Him. I am God. I'm not the Father. Father's not the Son. The Son's not the Spirit. But I am the Great. I am. Secondly, back to John 8, I am the light of the world. If we need a light, Then there's darkness. All darkness is is absence of light. And Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. I I am the light that illumines the world. Now, why would he say that? Again, Feast of Booths last week he talked about living water as the priests would have been taking water to the temple area and pouring it in the uh, as as part of their ceremony that the great god of, of, of the great I am this is so funny the great I am that delivered them through the wilderness they they promenaded around with water and the second part would have been huge candelabras filled with oil would have lined the temple area and the great I am led them through the wilderness and the priests would light these great candelabras and there would have been a great brightness of light and the deadness of night in Jerusalem, and the priests would have been lighting these because the great I am delivered them. And Jesus is looking at these lights and he goes, I am the light of the world. Isn't that a great message? Can you imagine sitting there seeing that? You see these lights? The Father provided these lights, but they were pointing to a greater light. I am the light of the world. Let's look for a second at darkness. Darkness is that which has no light. There's four things I want us to consider as we look at darkness. One, in darkness there's ignorance. Which leads to a life of disobedience. And one of the commentators I was reading was talking about the dangers of darkness. I thought it sounded good. Ignorance that leads to folly. Isn't that folly? Why do we do the things that we do? How many of us times have we said this? What was I thinking? Why did we do that? What was I thinking? Ignorance, folly. We do the things that we do because of who we are. Our life is a manifestation of the, of our, the heart that is within us. Psalm 82.5 They never have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. The psalmist talking about the, the lostness, the deadness of the world. They, they walk around in darkness because of their knowledge and no understanding. In darkness there is just ignorance to the truth and that which is right. Lost people do what they do because they're just ignorant. And I'm not going to tell them that. They're dead, but they're ignorant in their death. And a life without the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a life of ignorance. Secondly, this darkness is that of evil. I don't know. I don't even know what to do. It's so funny. I, I was... I'm so old, I remember the joy and the excitement of getting up in the morning as a young, young lad and going to get the sports page. And literally, you know, going to get the Atlanta Constitution and I'd run out there and get the sports page and read it. Not for one second as a young boy did I think that something in that paper would be false. I mean, you just didn't read it going, I wonder if that's true. Today, you read any, you don't even know if it's true or not. You see something online. I was reading something today. and I mean, I'm not making light of Las Vegas, but I'm like, really? They've determined that this gentleman that in the 32nd floor had some type of mental issues. And I, I'm just sitting there going, I mean, you know, I just. Evil is the world which we live in. Apart from Jesus Christ, we do what we naturally want to do. And doing what we naturally want to do in the flesh is that which is evil. How do you explain the things that happen in our world today? It's a dark world. It's an ignorant world. It is an evil world. So if the world is dark and evil let's shed some light on that evilness that's where the hope of the gospel comes in John 3 19 you may remember from that message several weeks ago Jesus himself said and this is the judgment the light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil Why do we do what we do? We do that because we're evil and we love the evil. We love it apart from Christ. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. We all fall short of the glory of God when we are not born again because it's just ignorant and an evil world that we live in. Third, it's a world of bondage. It's a world that we are literally under the, the, the cosmic powers of Satan. Listen to Ephesians six twelve. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the evil forces of e- against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are in bondage and we are in darkness. See, what Satan wants everybody to believe is just okay. Do what you want to do. Live how you want to live. Express how you want to express. You just do what you want to do. I know that the Word of God says differently. I know that God has said this. I know that the Lord has said this. But you do what you want to do. Everything's going to be okay. That's bondage. And we're in bondage to that darkness. Darkness. And our ignorance and our desire for evil. We were singing about the chains being broken. What a, what a great story. And Paul and Silas singing like a John Huss would have been singing as he was being martyred. And they were singing praises to the Lord. And the angel came and the, and the chains were broken. We're literally chained to darkness and we're in bondage to that. There's no hope and there's nothing we can do and there's nothing no one, anyone can do for us. The only hope that we have is Jesus Christ. And then last, the fourth thing to consider is condemnation. Matthew twenty two thirteen, 13, Jesus telling a parable about the king. And then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is a real place full of real people. Here's what the devil does. Here's what makes the devil the devil. The devil says... Enter by the broad way. Do what everybody else is doing. But the devil knows that it is going to lead to damnation. But he'll never tell you that. Sin always comes with a cost, and it always costs us greatly. And the devil says, listen, I know this is going to lead to your eternal damnation. You just continue thinking you're okay. You're not really dead in your trespasses and sin. Don't let the world tell you that. Don't let those religious right-wing people tell you that something's wrong with you. You are just fine. You are not dead in your trespasses and sin. There's some goodness in every one of us. You may not be religious. You may not go to church, and the devil's going to keep telling you, but you're all right. Don't believe a word of it and the entire time he knows that you are hell bound for eternal destruction and he is laughing all the way to your eternal death that's what he does we were talking about sin and the life of of men in our bible study our shepherding group and we were talking about the life of David. Now think about the life of David. David looked up there and he saw Bathsheba. Remember the story? How'd that end for him? We read a little, I read a little snippet from the book and at the end of that episode with Bathsheba, he had broken every one of the Ten Commandments. Then murdered somebody, his child was taken, his kingdom fell apart, everything, just the bottom just fell out of everything. Now think about this, what if The devil would have told David at the very beginning of that. You see that nice looking woman over there bathing? If you go over there, you're going to, Uriah's going to be killed. You're going to kill Uriah. You're going to have a child with her, and he's going to die. Your kingdom's going to fall apart. Your son's going to try to divide that, and you're going to do it. Just go ahead now. Now, David, consider all this before you walk over there to that woman. What do you think David would have said? I'm good. We're all right. I had a pastor tell me one time, if I'd have known it would cost me all this, I'd have never met that woman alone. That's what the devil does. He doesn't tell you everything up front, but he knows how it's going to wind up. Darkness is condemnation. But he said, I am the light of the world. So there's darkness, but he says, I am the light of the world. You don't have to live in ignorance. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We don't have to live in in ignorance of things of of the world, that we can have a, a new mind in Christ. We don't have to live in darkness. We can live in the hope of the gospel. I don't have to live in uh, ignorance of things of the world and of God. I can be one with God through Christ and have the mind of Christ. I don't have to live and love and live amongst evil. That which is wretched and unpure and unholy. I can open up my heart in faith and repentance and faith and be clothed with the righteousness and the goodness of God. See, our sins are forgiven. We forget that. Yeah, I'm saved. My sins are forgiven. Yes, my sins are forgiven, but I'm also clothed with the righteousness of God and His goodness and His righteousness and His perfection. So I don't have to lean on me to do it. I can trust in Him to do it through me. Yes, the world is evil, but I'm not of this world, Jesus said. Yes, this world is evil, but I have him within me, and I don't have to live in this evil world. In darkness we have bondage, but in Jesus Christ you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. As Paul and Silas were singing in the jail, my chains have been broken, my chains are gone, I'm a free man. And I now live for Christ. We talked about assurance last Sunday night and one of the things that gnaws at believers about assurance is the past. Yes, all sin comes with a price. I have scars all over my body, my favorite scar of all time. and this, when, when, I, uh, when I have a funeral one day, some of you whippersnappers can stand up and say, remember that time Pastor John said, you know my favorite scar is right there when I was told in RAs at church on Wednesday night to not bring a pocket knife back to church. And being the going to be a preacher one day that I am, I brought my pocket knife to church. And when my RA leader says, okay, we're going to glue an RA pledge on this piece of wood, I just figured I'd take my knife off and cut the top of the glue off. Could have been in the pantry for, you know, 15 years and the glue was hard. And I cut my knuckles, part of my knuckle off. Whoop. To this day, I can see me going. <clears throat> John, how's your RA pledge on the wood going? Not quite there yet. Well, that healed up, is what I'm saying. That healed up. It healed, it doesn't hurt. But every day I look at that going, yep, these little RA boys running here like crazy people, they're going to be preachers one day. <laughs> so next time you have an RA kid running around, bleeding everywhere, just bring them all, and he's yours. Sin does that. It leaves scars, and and, and we we move on, but yet there's there's a reminder. But here's the thing about our sin. If we have asked Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sin, and we have repented of that sin, we are free. The devil won't let us know that, but we are free in Christ. We don't live in bondage in the dark. We live in the light. And then we think about the condemnation, the judgment of God. I don't, I don't have the condemnation because Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And when we come to Christ, that is where we find that forgiveness. The moment that I opened up my heart in repentance and faith, the moment that God opened up my, my eyes and mind to what I needed to do in Christ, I became a new child of God, a, a child of the King. And from that moment forward, I've got an eternity in a wonderful place called heaven. But you know what? My eternity begins today. The day I got saved. I don't, I don't want to live this side of heaven and say, Well, if I ever just get to heaven, I'll be all right. No, I'm all right now. I've been forgiven. I'm free. I've got, I don't have an ignorant, evil, bondage. So that's not, I'm free. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I don't have to wait to heaven to experience the goodness of the Lord. I can experience the goodness of the Lord, and then when I get to heaven, now granted it's going to be greater. I'm a free man. Some of us are walking around with chains on us and drudgery. We are free. Because of what Jesus, when Jesus Christ stood up in that Feast of Booth, he goes, hey, I'm the light of the world. You want freedom? Come to Christ. That light represents purity, holiness. It, it exposes, it directs, it guides. All that we do, uh, you know, with, with, with the hurricane, our visit from Irma. Isn't that frustrating? I'm not going to say any names. They're a little bit older than me. They're a lot older than me. We walked in a closet. That sounds kind of weird, me walking in closets with women at church. but We, were, we walked in a closet to look for something, and the woman said, you got a flashlight. I was like, the hurricane's over. Isn't that funny? She, she, she was in such a habit of not having lights. She said, you got a flashlight? I said, no. Well, oh, you are old. There's a light. We have electricity in 2017. <laughs> but you get so used to We were just like stumbling around in darkness trying to find our way. We don't have to because we live in the light. It exposes all of these things. I am the light of the world. Now that little of the world would have really bothered those Jews. Who is the Messiah coming for? The Jews. Jesus came so that the... The gospel can be proclaimed and believed in. When we get to heaven, there's going to be every tribe and every... You're not going to have the Southern Baptist Convention and this convention and that convention and, you know, this side of the tracks and that side of the tracks and you got to speak this language and you speak that language. There's not going to be all that when we get to heaven. And some of y'all that think it is, you're probably not going to be there anyway. That's another sermon for another day. But darkness is evil, not the light. He said, I am the light of the world. And last, let's, let's finish with this third idea. Whoever follows me. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have, will have the light of life. At some point if we're talking about history, at some point in the church's history, let's just even if we just back up from the Protestant Reformation, let's say the 14 and 1500s, at some point, maybe I'll do a study on this, at some point we took the gospel of Jesus Christ in our zeal to share the gospel and we changed the gospel. And instead of Jesus being Savior and Lord he became just a Savior. Now hear me out. And instead of the John Husses in the world that understood what God had given them and what the gospel meant and they were willing to die a martyr's death for the Lord Jesus Christ. We turned the gospel into some collection of facts that simply says, if you believe in Jesus, you can go to heaven one day, but your life never has to change. Tell that to John Huss. Tell that to the missionaries today that are living and giving all they have for the gospel of Jesus Christ. At some point in history, and I know this because I've read about it, even in the early 80s, there was this debate over lordship salvation and what an easy believe ism. And I'm going, we are literally writing about lordship salvation. We have to write about lordship salvation. That when you become a believer, Jesus is Savior and Lord of your life. And the argument was that he can just be Savior and Lord can come later. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Can I say dumb on Sunday mornings in the pulpit? I know I can't on Sunday night. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard that you can believe in Jesus and go to heaven when you die and not one iota of your life has to change as a result of meeting the great I am and having your sins forgiven and no longer living in ignorance, evil, bondage and condemnation that you can believe in Jesus Christ but nothing has to change and you can live exactly the way you used to live as a dead person and nothing happens. Tell me that makes sense. Does that mean that we can't come to Christ and take him as Savior and Lord and be saved? No, I'm not saying that we add to the gospel. But somewhere in history and revivalism, and I do believe it started in England and our country, and our zeal to just be evangelistic, we took the gospel and we took Jesus and we watered him down to something that just believed that he is who he is, believed that he lived, and you can go to heaven when you die. Jesus said, no, I want you to follow me and trust me. Tell others about me. Now, when I got saved, I went to him as as Lord. I'm not saying that you sit there and say, well, uh, the, the idea, though, is the gospel that we proclaim in so many circles, to me, is not a biblical gospel. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus himself says in Luke 9, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. This is Luke 9, 23 and following. But for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the Father and the Holy angels. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Let me tell you something, I don't want to carry my cross, it's his cross and he died on that cross for my sins. And every day I want to be reminded, I don't have to live in sin. I don't have to live in discouragement. I don't have to live this way because every day I can take up the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and I can be different. Yes, the temptation is there. Yes, the sin is there. Yes, the world is there. But my hope is not in the world. My hope is in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every day I'm going to take this cross up and I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. A salvation without taking up the cross is no salvation at all. Also, it's this idea of of counting the cost. And and I've used this illustration in in the area of apologetics. When you're talking to someone about what it means to be saved. Luke 18, the rich ruler came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, why do you call me good? Fulfill the commandments. I'm going to paraphrase it as I read quickly. Do not commit adultery, not murder, not steal. I've done all these things in my youth. The one thing you still like, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. Now, why did Jesus say to that? Now, that's not the the gospel for the day. Okay, everybody go sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then you'll be saved. No. Why did Jesus say that to him? Because that man loved his stuff. When you come to Christ, you are coming to Christ and you are counting your cost and you're saying me, nothing, him, everything. You know I'm going to be a grandfather. Have I told you all that, I may not be around the whole last week in May. It just depends. depends on when that child comes. But you'll know when it's come. True story, true talk. All right, Dad, what advice do you have for me and and Katie being pregnant? Son, you better humble yourself. Whatever that woman wants, you better give it to her. Your world is fixing to change. I said, you don't remember this, but let me tell you what happened to your mother. About three days later, oh, my gosh. Dad, she is in a fetal position in the bathroom Wanting breadsticks at a pizza place an hour and a half away. You better hope you got enough gas to get there and get back, son, because you're finna go get breadsticks. Dad, I don't wanna go get breadsticks. Go get breadsticks. You better count the cost, son. It is you, nothing, her, everything. You know what he did? He went and got bread. You're exactly right. It made the, you know, that's a silly example, sacrificing. Parents sacrificing. I don't say this to question your doubt if you are a believer, but I say this to examine your faith. If you can't come to Christ empty handed, then you can't come to Christ. When you come to Christ and you say, hey, You need to come to Christ and ask him to forgive your sins. Well, now wait a minute now. Let's don't be too legalistic. If there's a well, you can't come. But isn't it amazing that when we come empty-handed, we think, man, why didn't I do that a long time ago? I see that played out in the life of a Christian. You know, when you're, when you're doing something as a Christian, you ever notice how consistent the Holy Spirit is in our process of sanctification? I'll say this, and I'm glad I thought of it. You have to count the cost daily. You have to take up the cross daily. Some of us have not counted the cost in a while. We have the faith of a young person in the faith. We're still on the milk of the word, and we need to be the meat on the word. But the second that we realize the Holy Spirit's been trying to get us to count the calls, take up the cross, and then we do it, we can't understand why nobody else is doing it. You don't know how many times this happens to me. Somebody has never come to church on Sunday night. I'll even ask them, hey, love to have you on Sunday night. We're, we're studying the word of God. Yeah, well, you know, it's on a day, oh, it. day I can read. All, it happens all the time. I'm going to start taking names to it. They come on Sunday night for about a month. Oh, my goodness. Who in the world? Pastor, I have just doubled my exposure to the Word of God and the people of God. It's like my spiritual life has just doubled. And I go, yeah, that's kind of how that works. The more we sit up under the Word and hang out with Christian people and sing Christian songs, the more we grow more like Christ. I can't believe not everybody comes to church on Sunday night. Well, that was you last week. But you can't get somebody to see anything like that, like giving. We talk about giving. Have you ever not given and then started giving? And the people that give the greatest testimony about giving are those that are giving because they have given and seen what God has blessed, and then they beat themselves up. They didn't start giving earlier. When you come to Christ on his terms, it's a game. It's a life changer. It's a game changer. I can't convince you of that. No one can convince you of that. Only Christ can convince you of that. So go to him and let him convince you of it. Daily take up your cross. Yes, you need to count the cost. You nothing, him everything. That's what he was telling the Jews. Hey, it's... You, nothing. Law, nothing. Abraham, nothing. Moses, nothing. Pharisees, nothing. All this, nothing. It is all fulfilled in me. And we'll close with this. You will not walk in darkness. You will not. You know why? Because I'm walking with him. I don't want to live in ignorance and evil and bondage and condemnation. I, I'm not going to. You, we will not have to walk in darkness because we're walking with Jesus Christ. And you will have the light, and don't miss this, the light of life. I don't know where I was, it was, History Channel, Discovery Channel. It was one of those slow motion, one of the North or South Poles. I get them mixed up, Antarctica, whatever. One of the Poles. And it was shown like the frozen, it was the north, the frozen tundra. And it had like time-lapse digital photography and, and everything was frozen and frozen and frozen. And then it talked about the spring coming and the minute the sun come out. And it was kind of fast forward and things began to bloom and things began to grow and things began to grow. And I remember seeing that going, that's it. That's the light of life. When we have the light of life, we're going to know Christ and grow in Christ and we're going to manifest Christ and we're going to produce Christ and we're going to live for Christ and I don't have to walk in darkness because I'm producing the light of life. I'm producing Him. We don't have the S-U-N, we have the S-O-N. That's a good one. And the sun. It's a pretty bold statement. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's stand as we pray. Oh God, we thank you that we can literally understand that you are the light of the world. And as we sing about turning our heart and our eyes towards you, we are able to do that first and foremost because you have just shown us who you are. In our wickedness and depravity, you have opened up our heart to the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and our need that you are the light of the world. So this morning, if there's anyone here today that has never trusted you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, what a wonderful day to step out on faith and call on the name of Jesus. For those that are part of the church, I pray that we continue to understand daily, take up our cross daily and count the cross and to live in the light as that light manifests itself through us. Lord, as we sing, let us turn our eyes and our heart and our mind towards you. And this we ask in Christ's name.